Um, and if, we'll, we'll collect them again. There'll be another opportunity uh, later if something else comes to mind. Uh, just uh, a reminder that we do have for the teens and tweens, we have bowling this afternoon at 3 o'clock. Uh, we are, uh, we have a couple of empty slots there, so if you have a uh, teen, by all means, feel to enlist them and uh, bring them, bring them along. Um, Don't them off the street, though, that's, that's not, you know, looked on well, but uh, if you know them, you know, and they're willing to come, then, then bring them. So three o'clock down at uh, Dewey Lanes, and uh, we look to to have a good time there. We are um, in this series about good news, right? And uh, we need to be reminded, I think, that our faith is good news. And uh, it causes great joy. It does so for all people. So, so far through this series, we've looked at just this definition of good news. We've looked at the idea that God is the creator of everything. God is the ultimate cause or ultimate source of everything. And then once we begin the gospel message at creation, from that point, everything builds towards Jesus, that ultimately when we arrive at Jesus, we move through history and we arrive at Jesus, that Jesus is the uh, fulfillment of what has gone beforehand. And so this week we, we pick up right at that point. You may remember last week uh, I had up a list of names that uh, talk of, that of um, list of names from Matthew chapter 1 that uh, begin at Abraham and run all the way through to Jesus. And so we're actually picking up at the very next verse there in Matthew. We're doing a kind of Christmas in July. Uh, but as we, we get to that, we're going to uh, read first from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1 and uh, the first four verses there in Romans chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is uh, introducing himself, the all ancient letters, you know, whereas we put at the end of the letter, we put our name, uh, yours sincerely, Peter. You know, in um, their way of writing, they would put their name at the very beginning. And how often do you like skim to the bottom and, and see who it's from, right? <laughs> and so before you go back and read the rest of it. So uh, it kind of makes sense in that regard. So um, we, we pick up here in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel, the good news of God. The gospel or good news, that he promised beforehand through his prophets in his holy scriptures. Okay, that's that idea of fulfillment there that we see. Regarding his son, Jesus, 
who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. I've been in ministry 25 years, thereabouts, um, now, and for some of you, you go, oh, that's, that's nothing. Right? And I'm not, you know, that, that's for others of you, you're like, man, you're old, Peter. <laughs> so I, I'm not going to categorize you based on your response to that. But still, 25 years is enough time to be able to get some uh, experience, to be able to see a thing or two and hopefully learn a thing or two. Uh, and so I, I think I have learned and, and hopefully grown over 25 years in ministry. One of those things that I've learned is that many times what seem like significant differences between Christians aren't really differences at all. You Oftentimes they're just one person or one church placing more or less emphasis on a particular thing than the other person or church. Let me give you an imaginary example. Can you picture two churches, both of whom agree that it's important to present our best to God in worship? Okay. And now the first church goes about that by uh, having a paid song leader and a praise team that stands before the congregation leading uh, the church in worship before the throne of God. And the second church brings its best to worship by demonstrating love for, for neighbor. They, they make sure that they have a staffed nursery with everything that could possibly be needed by uh, young parents. They have a, a coffee and snack bar as people come in. Uh, they have volunteer greeters. They have people designated to, to go and pray with those who may be needing prayer each week. And, and it's all this stuff that is around the actual worship service, but not in the worship service. And they say, this is what it means for us to bring our best to worship each week. Well, the, the, the second church that has all of these amenities and people in place to do things. They, they look over at the first church with their paid song leader and uh, praise team standing up the front and they say, you know what they've done to worship? They have turned it into entertainment. They've turned it into a concert. And, and the church over here with the, the praise team and the worship leader up the front the, that's paid, they look over at the other church and say they don't even care about worship. They're just making sure everyone's comfortable. They're just, you know, making sure they're well fed and caffeinated. Uh, they've got to caffeinate them to keep them awake during worship. That, that's what they're, they're best for worship, okay? And so these two churches look at each other and they go, I can't believe those people think that what they do on a Sunday morning is pleasing to God. And, and, and they're very different. But if we sat down with each of them, would say, are you convinced that you're giving your best to God each Sunday morning? 
each of them would say, absolutely, that is important for Christians to do. And we have gone to a lot of effort to make sure that we do that. And yet, even as both of them work so hard to please God and to to bring their best, they're at odds with each other. And so sometimes what seem like our biggest differences really aren't, shouldn't be differences at all. They're just a, 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 different, a difference of emphasis, not a difference of belief or effort. What does that have to do with the gospel? What does it have to do with Romans chapter 1? Let me ask you, whose son is Jesus? Whose son is Jesus? It's a trick question, of course. Don't even have Mary up there. Okay. <laughs> She's like, I'm the one who gave birth to him. Um, but uh, son, Romans chapter 1 and uh, identifies him as a son twice. First, he is a son of David. Second, he is a son of God. Okay, so we can establish that. Well, let me, let me ask the question, is it more important that Jesus be the son of David or the son of God? You got to think about that a little bit, but usually when we're we're baptized, right? We we're baptized into Jesus. We baptized into His humanity. We're baptized into His deity, and we're like, well, maybe it's not that important whose son He is. What if what if Dave, What if He was the son of Mephibosheth instead of the son of David? Would that change the story? What he was the son of Jim instead of the son of David, right? Somebody who was a, you know, a lawyer in Galilee rather than a carpenter. Would that change, make a difference to who Jesus is and whether or not he could fulfill his mission? Paul, of course, has just said that Jesus is both. Both are elements of the gospel. Okay? Both of them are elements of the good news of Jesus. If we were to look through church history, I know so many of us like to do that in our spare time, we would find that a lot more thought has been given to how the human Jesus could also be God than has been given, than has been directed to the question of how God could become human. Maybe this is because we're more interested in how we as humans can follow Jesus to heaven, how we can join him with God. We 
We can't share the origin story of Jesus, but we can share the end story, right? And so maybe that's what we, we focus on. But focusing on this aspect of the gospel message, the, the going to, to heaven aspect, prompts us to, to gravitate towards the message of the cross and the empty tomb. And I think our, our thinking goes something like this. Ooh, all right. Jesus lived a sinless life. Therefore, he qualifies to be a spotless sacrifice for our sins. Therefore, we can receive eternal life. Okay? Just one, two, three. Right? So because Jesus is the Son of God, he lived a sinless life, he could be a sacrifice for our sins, and we can receive eternal life. In this perspective, you know, it tells a part of the story, but it values a, uh, a spiritual existence over a physical existence. So we might say this if we were to pick a, a song right, that, that might describe this. It might be some glad morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away, <laughs> right? Like a bird from prison bars has flown, I'll fly away. What are the prison bars? This life, right? This, this body, this existence is prison bars and, and we just want to fly away. But today I want to focus on the other perspective. Not that Jesus is the Son of God, but the importance that Jesus is the Son of David. And maybe not David specifically, although I think when we talk about the Messiah and the fulfilling that Jesus, last week we talked about him fulfilling and him being this Messiah, that becomes very, very important. But I want us to, to look at the idea of Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is human. I'm working with the assumption that we're all familiar with the Christmas story. And by that I don't mean Rudolph and you know, Santa. But familiar with the story of Matthew chapter 1. As I mentioned, we saw last week this long list of names at the beginning of chapter 1. And then we get about halfway through the chapter. And in verse 18, we pick up. So Jesus fulfills all of this. And we see, I mean, how human are you when you can trace your descendants how many did we say? Like 14, 28, 42, 41 generations back? Right? There's no question you're human if you can trace your lineage 41 generations. You didn't just pop up out of nowhere. And so then, that being done, in verse 18 of Matthew 1, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. 
But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Okay. And going. Well, that talks about Jesus as the Son of God, doesn't it? But I'm not going to look at all the other statements in the Gospel that describe Jesus as divine. But they're there. You see, the humanity of Jesus really isn't to be questioned. When we talk about Jesus as the son of David, the question isn't, is Jesus a descendant of David? The question is, is Jesus, the descendant of David, also the son of God? Okay? Or, is Jesus just the son of God? disconnected from David, from Abraham, from humanity. And so here we have them both as, as Mary, a human, receives notice that she is going to have a child given to her through the Holy Spirit. Here we have the meeting of the divine and the mortal. Jesus is both the son of David and the Son of God. And so everyone accepts the humanity. There's probably no one in this room. In fact, I, I think that any historian will say there is you know, 99%, no matter what their faith affiliation, they will say there is 99% certainty that Jesus was a real human that lived at the particular point in time that we associate him. Right? That, that's beyond dispute. The, dispute, the humanity of Jesus, the reality of the human Jesus. But then, we have to say, is he just a human? Because the voices from heaven, the miracles, the teachings that amaze the listeners, they illustrate that Jesus is more than human. Ultimately, they're going to illustrate that Jesus is God. But Jesus isn't a human who became God. Jesus is God who became human. Right? And, and that's what I mean when I say that he is a descendant of David. Right? He is a, a God who became human. Not in an abstract way. He didn't create a new human. He didn't just pop down from heaven. He joined humanity. Through a lineage 41 generations long, probably more, God became human. Jesus could do the supernatural. He could heal diseases. He could even raise the dead. He could calm the storm. He could multiply the loaves and the fish. Jesus also cried. Jesus, we just read in the temptation passage from Luke 4, that Jesus grew hungry and thirsty. Jesus grew tired and he slept. Jesus was tempted. Jesus was human. Each of Jesus' temptations in the, in the wilderness, in that again, in that passage, as Satan comes to tempt him to, to derail his mission, to derail his, his ministry before it even begins, 
the question, whether it's there, whether it's in the garden just prior to his death, is will you, God, in human form, will you avoid, will you take a discount on your humanity? Will you take a shortcut? Will you find yourself hungry and just create loaves? Or will you remain human and live with your hunger until you can walk, until you have blisters, until you can find food as humans do? Will you jump off a temple and, and hurt and injure yourself? Will you, will you tempt God in that way? Are you willing to risk that? Will you... Will you Will you be human? But ultimately, the, the greatest temptation he faces is regarding his humanity is, will you die? Okay. All right, God, you became human. You lived on earth for a while. You had some fun. You played soccer in the courtyard with your schoolmates. You learned a trade. You, you became famous. You got a books written about you. Now, what's next? Are you going to suffer? Are you going to die? Or are you going to jet on out of here? What are you going to do, Jesus? Are you going to embrace humanity? Are you going to live humanity to the end? Or are you going to say, I've been there, done that. It's time for me to head home. And so, will you play the get-out-of-humanity-free card? And in the end, we know that Jesus withstood those temptations and died as a human. And in this way, Jesus fully identifies with us. Okay? You see, sometimes I think when, when we focus on Jesus, we say, well, he, he's not like me, he was God. Yeah, of course he didn't sin. He was God. And we make all these things, maybe, and we say, well, of course he walked on water. He was God. And we remind ourselves time and again that Jesus is God. But I think we also need to remind ourselves that Jesus was human. Jesus came to identify with us, to be like us. Isn't that nuts when we spend so much of our time trying to be like God? That Jesus came to be like us. And in becoming human, God bridges the gap between the Creator and the creation. Because Jesus not only identifies with us, Jesus is now becomes the means of reconciliation. Jesus becomes the means of, of reuniting humanity with God. Because God first bridges the gap. How many times have we heard that because of sin there's a gap that separates us from God? Well, what's it say when God himself now jumps over that gap and comes and lives amongst sinful people? It says God can tolerate sin. For 33 whatever years he was surrounded by sin. He mixed with it. He hugged it. He shook hands with it. He walked with it. He ate with it. Sin was all around him. Because God is reconciling sinful people to himself. 
And he leaps, he bridges that gap in his birth, in his incarnation, before he says anything about us crossing that gap to him. He takes the first step and the biggest step. We might ask, what does God look like? And the answer is, he looks like Jesus. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, right? And, and I think sometimes we forget that. Sometimes people say, oh, this is what God is like, and this is what Jesus is like. And no, they're the same thing. When we see Jesus, we see God. When Jesus was on earth, God was on earth. And so the incarnation, what, why did it happen? What, what motivated that act of leaving the throne room of the Father and coming and living among people, humility and love. Philippians tells us of the, the great motivation of how Jesus the Son humbled himself to become human. We can John 3.16 tells us that God loved the world so much that he sent his Son. And so in Jesus' humanity, we see both the humility and the love of God. And it models, it's an example for us too, that we absorb these values of God into our lives. When we focus on the humanity of Jesus, what we focus on is the fallenness of our world. And I think that so often that's why we want to fly away from this world because of its fallenness, because of its hurt, because of its brokenness. And they're like, get me out of here. Right? And yet Jesus came here. But, but we, we look around and we see this hurt and brokenness. And here's the good news about the incarnation, is that Jesus doesn't just join us, didn't just come to earth, become human for our Thanksgiving meals. He joins us in our lonely nights. He doesn't just join us in our moments of inspiring worship. He joins us when we cry out in pain and desperation. He doesn't just join us in our confidence that God is in control. He also joins us when we question, is there any other way? He's with us in our wedding celebrations and our funeral grief. We need to remind ourselves that this, this isn't just a man named Jesus, although it is a man named Jesus, but it is God in the flesh. It is Emmanuel, God with us. On the cross, He's not just dying for us. He is dying with us. Because He experiences death as we all do. Particularly, He experiences death at the hands of injustice. And so He dies with all those killed as a result of injustice. He's killed outside the city. He dies with those who, who die in the margins. Names forgotten outside the city. 
Jesus knew. Jesus knows. Jesus cares. We have an old song in our hymn books titled, Does Jesus Care? And the answer that's given in the chorus of that, and I would say because of the incarnation, is yes, He cares. I know He cares. If the good news of Creator God emphasizes His majesty and emphasizes His power, if the good news of the resurrection emphasizes eternal life with God in the future, then the humanity of Jesus, the good news of the humanity of Jesus, the act of God becoming human, is good news for all of these reasons on the screen. But mostly it is good news because it emphasizes the nearness of God. That God will come and be with us when we don't want to be with ourselves. In 1932, Thomas Andrew Dorsey, one of the, the fathers of the genre in the move from spiritual songs to gospel music, wrote this song, Precious Lord. And he did so after losing his wife and his son to childbirth. And notice how different this is from the sentiment of flying away. He's not asking God, take me out of here. Well, the third verse, he gets to that. But he's not, he doesn't, that's not his purpose. He knows he'll get to that. But he's not saying, God, this world is a terrible place. Get me out of here. God, my wife, my child just died. Get me out of here and take me to be with him. Instead, he says, Lord, be with me. Take my hand. Help me stand. Lead me on. Lord, I'm tired. I'm weak. I'm worn. I'm traveling through the storm, through the night. Lead me on. Lead me to your light. Take my hand, precious Lord. Lead me home. You see, it's, it's the nearness of God that allows Him to be, to take our hand. That God isn't just on the throne of heaven. That Jesus isn't just on the throne of heaven interceding for us. Jesus is with us because Jesus became human. And we're not told that He ever unbecame human human first john chapter 4 verses 13 and 14 and this is our verse to finish on today it reminds us that god lives within us he has given us his spirits and we have seen and we testify that the Father sent His Son into the world to be the Savior of the world. And maybe we've heard this enough and we've celebrated Christmas enough that we go, yeah, that's what happens. But when we compare, when we look at other religions, we look at other people's um, pictures of God. 
In almost every instance, what it provides is a pathway for people to please God. What we see is not a pathway to please God, not a a pathway to become like God, not a pathway to gain salvation. What we see is what we testify, what we have a spirit within us telling us is that the Father sent His Son into our mess, into our world, into our humanity, so that that son could be the savior of the world. Fully God. Fully human. Son of David. Son of God. However, you might be needing God this morning. I want to assure you of his proximity. Assure you of his nearness. Assure you that he's listening and that he cares for you. Because God took the first and greatest step towards reconciliation, towards restoration of this broken world when God became human. We're going to sing a song and now Larry's going to lead us. Its title is in need and uh, i'm just going to stay up here if you have a need if you would like prayer uh, if you want a need to explore your relationship with god further uh, come and let me know we'll uh, we'll talk about that if you need prayer we'll we'll pray with you uh, but uh, i hope that you see christmas the story of a little baby being born is good news of great joy for all people. Join me in singing, please. In need of grace, in in need of love, in need of mercy raining down from high above, in need of strength, in need of peace, in need of things that only you can give to me, in need of Christ, the perfect Lamb, my refuge strong, the great I am. This is my song, my humble plea. I am your child, I am in need. In need of grace, in need of love, in need of mercy raining down from high above, in need of strength, in need of peace, in need of things that only you can give to me. 
need of Christ, the perfect Lamb, my refuge strong, the great I am. This is my song, my humble plea, I am your child, I am in need, in need of Christ, the perfect Lamb, my refuge strong, the great I am, this is my song, my humble plea, I am your child, I am in need, I am your child. 